0: Watch,
1: Watch Full length. right, okay, well, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never I mind. Bye. See you. You. see you next
2: month. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible.
3: <laughs> 1969 gold Cadillac with the white and I drove it up here. And I started to do some
4: thinking. I'm Having I a really, really good time.
5: Flat black Looking
3: big, I'm on
6: the freeway. Don't Can I see? Laurie Starrion, Laurie Starrion,
4: Jesus. The is absolutely right.
3: I am a teddy bear, an
5: adolescent,
3: and I will cut the Henry, yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your Chief Nurse Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man.
7: Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey, everybody. Listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the weekly review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m.
6: Hey, you. We got your
11: rider three conductors and 25 sacks of mail all along the southbound of the train pulls out from kankakee and rolls along past houses farms and fields and passing trains that have no names and freight yards filled with old black men And the graveyard's on the rusted automobile point there ain't no one keeping score and pass the paper bag that holds the bottle feel of wheels rumbling beneath the floor and the sons of pullman quarters and the sons of engineers ride their father's magic carpet made mother love your babe to sleep rocking to the gentle beat and the rhythm of the rails is all they feel good morning america how are you say don't you know In cars in Memphis, Tennessee Halfway home, we'll be there by morning Through the Mississippi darkness, rolling down to the sea But the towns and the people seem to just fade into a bad dream
12: are all in and the peaches are rotten, the oranges are packed in the creosote dumps, they're flying them back to the Mexican border to save all their money, then wade back again. My father's own father, he waded that river, other than They died in the hills and they died in the valley. Some went to heaven without any name. Goodbye. Scott caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon A fireball of thunder it shook all the hills
11: Who are all of these dear friends scattered like dry leaves The radio said they were just Dream Just your friend
13: And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Labor and Love. This is The B, and you're tuned in to Mutiny Radio. Coming at you today from 2781 24th Street. 21st Street, pardon me, in the heart of the mission. <clears throat> My new neighborhood, La Mission. You heard... Uh, Dreams to Remember, Etta James singing a song originally penned by Otis Redding. Before that, we had a couple of the highwaymen's deportees, and I know I play that one a lot, but I play it a lot to remind everybody that the exploitation is still going on in the field. Those people are still deportees, they're still farm workers, not people. As Chavez once said, we are not tools, we're not rented animals, we're men and women and we deserve to be treated as such. And before that, the rockin' city of New Orleans, by the highwaymen as well. This is the B and your tune to Mutiny Radio. This is 2781 21st Street. And if Mutiny Radio could talk, it would say, "Come on down. We've got art installations. We got radio shows. We got video. We've got the capital of the underground comedy movement in San Francisco Monday night." comedy workshop where you come and test out your work with a sympathetic audience. They'll criticize you and they'll also tell you what you're doing that's good. So come on down. So today our show is going to be a little special. I'm having some uh, technical trouble. Um, I'm hearing that some of my stuff's coming through if I'm not, so if you, you can hear me, well, I hope you can. Give me a call, let me know. <laughs> this is The B. My name is Bill Morgan. I'm member of two unions, and this is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get, if you don't have a seat at the table... A negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never, let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. Okay, well, we're going to get right into it today. Um, We had begun a history of organizing in Hawaii, Got about halfway into that one. So we're going to play the end of that here to lead off our show. And then we'll get into our feature on Judy Berry, labor organizer, environmentalist extraordinaire who was bombed and then accused of setting the bomb herself. You got it. Um. Then we got Juneteenth. What happened on Juneteenth? It's a special day for me because it's my wedding anniversary. And it's a special thing for other reasons as well. Um, So, come on down, enjoy yourself. Grab that little caffeine or whatever you do to relax on Saturday morning and join me for our Labor magazine all right let's start with labor history in two beginning with June 10th a little steel
14: sp- strike wheel is labor history in two on this day in labor history the year was 1937 that was the day striking steel workers battled back to work forces at newton steel in monroe michigan Steelworkers were on strike against three steel companies across five states in the push to organize little steel of the three republic steel sites had experienced brutal picket line violence especially in south chicago republic had recently purchased newton rolling mill management there was bent on forcing the reopening of the plant. John L. Lewis promised 8 to 10,000 workers from Detroit to bolster picket lines. The mayor of Monroe, Daniel Nags, called upon all able-bodied men with military experience to enlist in a citizen's army to escort scabs back to work. Police and hundreds of deputies set up checkpoints on the outskirts of the city to stop suspected CIO supporters from entering Monroe. Black SWOC organizer Leonides McDonald from Chicago had already been dragged from his car, beaten, and driven from town on foot by scabs earlier in the day. At the same time, Mayor Nags, company officials, as well as SWAC and company union organizers met in the state's capital with Governor Murphy to negotiate a settlement. As they met, 200 more special police were sworn in and instructed in the use of sidearms and tear gas. Police deputies and scabs armed with guns, clubs, and tear gas shattered the picket line that evening. Then deputies seized strikers' cars and drove them into the river. 18 strikers were hospitalized outraged uaw supporters from pontiac declared a labor holiday in protest and headed to monroe but uaw officials ordered them to turn back in an effort to stem the anti-union violence the organizing drive had been dealt another serious setback i'm rick smith and this is labor history in two on this day in labor history the year was 1974 that was the day workers at the dodge truck plant in warren michigan went out on a wildcat strike workers were fed up with the endless attacks from management and disappointing contract negotiations the year before Wildcat strikes had become almost commonplace in Detroit-area auto plants the previous summer. Arbitrary discipline, deteriorating working conditions, and frustration with the union's response all led to the three-day walkout. Ten days earlier, 100 workers had staged a sick-in over working conditions. When the company threatened firings, more workers dropped their tools. Now, four had been fired, including the second shift, Chief Steward. The response was immediate. Within an hour, the plant was virtually shut down. 6,000 workers voted to continue the strike. Wildcat leaders noted that virtually all the routine antagonisms among workers, young versus old, black versus white, women versus men, had melted away in solidarity. Socialist and anarchist workers in the plant published their recollections in a commemorative pamphlet entitled Wildcat, Dodge Truck, June 1974. In it, they state, quote, We were excited by the collective decision of thousands of Chrysler employees to deny the authority of daily wage labor and, for even four days, to say no to the demands of the alarm clock, the production line, bosses, union bureaucrats, judges, and cops. It was, in fact, a total frustration with and rejection of all the things inside and outside the plant which exercise control over our lives. By the time it was over, 30 strikers had been arrested, strike leaders were branded as communist agitators by the union, and area judges issued injunctions to end the picketing. The Wildcat may have failed, but workers had pushed back against management offensives. I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1936. That was the day Remington Rand President James Rand boasted of a new scheme. He called it the Mohawk Valley Formula. It served as a blueprint for the future of union busting. The National Labor Relations Board called it a battle plan for industrial war. The workers at Remington Rand had walked out on strike in late May after enduring a year of anti- union harassment threatened plant closures and firings of top union leaders the company used a number of dirty tricks during the strike to mislead and demoralize strike forces in his book the last great strike ahmed white describes the purpose and function of the formula writing quote the scheme figured in the little steel strike as several authorities would accuse the steel companies of patterning their response to the steel strike after Rand's formula. It consisted of no fewer than nine steps, all oriented to employing threatening armed forces, spies and provocateurs, companies sponsored back to work movements and staged reopenings to terrorize and demoralize strikers provoke strikers to violence and discredit them, then use the specter of violence and pretense of a state of emergency to mobilize opposition to the strike on the part of local police and courts, and finally announcing that the strike had been broken and that any remaining resistance was the work of an intractable minority hostile to community values and the right to work. The central insight behind the formula was that violence could be used not only to drive workers off the picket lines and paralyze them with fear, but also to turn both the law and political sentiments against unionists while justifying the employer's own conduct and excluding its contempt for labor rights.
13: Okay, that was Rick Smith with his uh, labor, in two, labor history in two minutes. Remember, you're never alone as long as you stand up. We um, have a little music today. decline.
15: Just remember So um... Jungle when it's wet with rain Just remember till you're home again You belong to me I am gonna be so alone when in a silver plain. See the jungle when it gets wet with rain. Just remember till you're home again.
16: is the motivation that is gives us a rhyme or reason. Half a one doubt. They call it treason. With chicken feathers
5: all the way out.
16: Sunday sleep and not Trying to duck the wrath of God Preachers filling us with fright They all trying to teach us What they think is right They really got to
13: Okay, that of course was Les McCann another one we play a lot here compared to what the world's going crazy all around us trying to make it real compared to what they must be some kind of nut <clears throat> and uh, before that for no particular reason I played You Belong to Me by Patsy Klein. Lay her. I mean, what does that have to do with labor? <clears throat> compared to what, certainly does. Patsy Klein, one of the great, great country and western singers. Um, we're going to listen now to Radio Labor. Radio Labor is our uh, worldwide. Labor review, though. So listen up if you want to find out about labor campaigns going on all over the world. Whenever you stand up at the workplace, whenever you stand up for better treatment on your job, you're not alone. Armies of people are standing up and have stood up, as you heard, in those three chapters of labor history in two. let's
6: do um, Radio Labor. News
17: on Radio
4: Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, June 11th, 2021. I'm Mark Balachuk. In the report this week, the U.N.'s International Labour Organization begins its global conference. What Labour wants from the G7 and singing.
5: Come on now,
15: people, let's get on the boat, let's work together. Come on, come on, let's work together.
4: This is Radio Labour. The annual conference of the UN's International Labour Organization opened in a virtual setting on June 7th with addresses from all the tripartite social partners, governments, employers and workers. Catalene Pasquier, the chairperson of the workers' group at the ILO, outlined Labour's priorities.
18: We have ten key messages to this conference. One, any human-centered recovery by the ILO must be rights-based and provide for jobs and recovery plans based on social dialogue. There cannot be a human-centered approach to recovery without a rights-based approach and the recognition of the key role of social dialogue based on the enabling rights of freedom of association and the right to collective bargaining. Two, precarious work will lead to a precarious recovery. A job-rich and inclusive recovery must pay special attention To young workers who are at risk of becoming a lost generation. A human-centred recovery must mean that we ensure that all workers, irrespective of their employment status, have adequate labour and social protection and benefit from income support in times of crisis. Three, the growing inequality in the world of work must be reversed. A human-centred recovery must be a recovery that reverses to the dramatic inequalities that were exposed during the COVID-19 crisis. There was already a growing consensus before the pandemic that inequality had reached unsustainable levels. Four, without universal access to vaccination, the vaccination gap will further exacerbate existing economic and social inequalities and leave especially the Global South behind. Many colleagues from all over the world have expressed the need to address the issue of vaccine equity with the utmost urgency. Inequality in excess is leading to a growing global vaccination gap, which will inevitably increase economic and social inequality in the world of work and globally between countries and regions, threatening to undo decades of progress to reduce poverty and achieving decent work for all. Five. Safety and health are fundamental to decent work and to recovery. The COVID-19 crisis has shown that health and safety at work are not to be taken for granted. Sixth, any recovery policy or action must be gender inclusive. The pandemic has a feminine face. Women in essential sectors and jobs have sustained societies and economies often underpaid and overworked with excessive workloads and working hours running themselves high risks for their health and safety while juggling work with family and education duties. Seven, the key role of the public sector must be recognized and reinforced. If the pandemic has shown anything, it is that billions of taxpayers' money have been spent to support enterprises in order to survive and that the health and care sectors were sustaining economies and societies. In many countries, the crisis has exposed decades of austerity policies and cuts in public spending have weakened health and care systems and public services provision, with detrimental effects for all. Eight, universal social protection will not come about without global solidarity and global resource mobilization. Ensuring comprehensive and adequate social protection and social security is one of the core elements of the Decent Work Agenda and a long-standing commitment of the ILO and its tripartite constituents. 9. Digitalisation, telework and platform work require proper regulation to harness the opportunities and eliminate the risks involved. Number 10. A strong leadership role for the ILO. We strongly support a central role for the ILO in promoting policy coherence in the multilateral system to promote a human-centered and inclusive recovery from the COVID-19 crisis.
4: You can follow the activities of the ILO conference at ilo.org. The G7 group of countries is meeting in England June 11th to 13th, 2021, and Labour has presented its recommendations. The G7 consists of Canada, the United States, the UK, France, Germany, Japan, and Italy. The European Union will also have a representative at the meeting. In an effort to win more worker-oriented policies, the group of national labour centres from the G7, known as the L7, met in a two-day online conference. The issues covered by the L7 included corporate taxes, a just transition to greener economies, and recovery from the pandemic. The conclusions of the L7 meeting were reported by Pierre Abbas, the General Secretary of the Trade Union Advisory Committee to the OECD. The committee operates under its acronym, TUEK.
9: We want government, the G7, to bring a strong focus on quality jobs and on collective bargaining. And quality jobs has a meaning. It should have substance. Collective bargaining, we know what it is. Quality jobs... We know what it is, and we will want government to agree on a clear definition, quantity, but also quality job. Secondly, stress democratic values. This is something where, in a sense, the G7 would be fit for purpose. It's supposed to be a like-minded forum. We should make best use of this forum to stress the need to protect democracy. We have democracy. We need to protect that. It is under severe pressure outside the G7, within the G7 a bit as well, let's say. uh, But beyond that, ensuring also a strong workers' voice uh, to end racism and to address inequalities of opportunity, inequalities uh, of power. On the economic front, there was a shared agreement to create an investment plan to restore trust. Uh, we have a good, concrete example with the Biden administration recovery plan. What a change from, uh, from the previous U.S. administration. And to move toward more equitable growth, obviously, but a more green recovery to create good jobs. We had a long conversation as well on the people who are most hit by the crisis. Our colleagues from Rengo, from Japan, called to better protect those who are most hit by the crisis. Women, I think that was a a fairly telling figure from Japan. 33% of women cannot find a job after dismissal but also migrant workers, obviously the informal economy. The impact of the crisis is multi-front. There uh, There is a, a, job, a job crisis that is looming. It's an economic crisis to soon become a financial crisis, but it is also a crisis that is affecting our mental health. There again, we had some figures about the rise of suicide, about the rise and the need for more tech support. It was also a two-day conversation where we We didn't reinvent the wheel but we brought back a conversation on essential services and public services we know that this crisis has exposed up front the notion of essential workers uh, who've been there at the front line and we've exposed also perhaps the gap between this essentiality of those workers uh, and uh, their living condition their working condition we also brought focus on essential services healthcare the healthcare sector transports of energy and perhaps more broadly the need to recognize public services quality public services that sadly enough is not necessarily recognized as a priority in international forums we also come back to the fight against the current pandemic there was a load of conversation discussion on vaccine inequality inequality in access and the need to support the world health organization as the leading forum in the fight against the the ongoing pandemics. but not only this is not only about mobilization, about funding. It's also about rights, intellectual property rights. So they were also called for for the other forum, the well-known, the, the WTO, to move ahead and activate a waiver on uh, on intellectual property rights when it comes to, to vaccines, to facilitate. And as always, when it comes to prices, the labor movement stands there with discussion on the recovery package and the reform that we need for the future. There was some discussion on tax, Uh, also on the financial transaction tax, discussion of wealth tax. We revisited a number of discussions again on how to build better supply chain, Revisit discussion on trade, on investments, and also perhaps take advantage of the improved political economy at the G7 with the new US administration to accelerate and deepen our transition to a low-carbon economy. This means bring back the notion of just transition, at the heart of this discussion there is a climate race but there is also, also also a job race we agree we need to build back better but build back better for what we need to bring a bit of perspective here we're not starting from zero there is 10 years of erosion of labor market institutions there's erosion of, of worker's power of the power of trade unions and erosion of bargaining power this is something international organization g7 to address and from there to take action. This is also a perhaps a zero-sum game between the erosion of workers' power and the fact of the matter, which is increasing risk for political capture by corporation. In the context of increasing corporate concentration, we are in a world where there is a whole chunk of the economy which is growing in power, economic power, financial power, political power, and which is waving on the digitalization wave, The issue here is not only economic, it is also an issue of democracy.
4: Now, here is the UK singing group The Workers with Let's Work Together. And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can listen to our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanche. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
19: Arise, ye starlings from your slumbers, arise, ye criminals of want. For reason and revolt thou thunders, and at last, and the age of cant, now away with all your superstitions. Several masses arise, arise. We'll change forth with the old conditions. And spun the dust to win the prize then cross- Of we and Prince of there our own right and chain for shiver, chains of hatred, of greed, and fear. Ere the thieves will disgorge the booty, and to all give a happy lot. Each at his foes must do his duty, strike the iron when it's hot. And in dollars enrolled among the sons of toil, let's claim the earth and forth for brothers. Drive the indolent from the soil. On the flesh long has fed the raven. We've too long been the vulture's prey. But now farewell the spirit grey. The dawn brings in a brighter day.
13: That's it, Work Together by an English uh, folk group and Stormy Monday by the indomitable Ida James, the <coughs> bourgeois working class, the working class blues, the work week, Stormy Monday, Tuesday's just bad, Wednesday's worse, Thursday's oh so sad. Eagle flies on Friday, Saturday night, I go out to play. Monday comes, I go to the church, get down on my knees and pray. That's how the work week goes. <laughs> Originally, of course, a song by T-Bone Walker, sung there by Edda James. And then the Internacional. Version by Arthur Johnstone, the song of the international labor movement. I'm going to skip now to a documentary, the last part of a documentary about how Hawaii was organized. Last week, we heard about different groups in Hawaii and the history behind the... Seclusion, how groups were kept apart. And um, there were some perks. but by and large it was work, work, work. So let's let's listen to that. Um,
20: Priests of Asiatic paganism are in an unholy alliance with foreign language school teachers. Japanese newspaper
13: editors, and other subjects... These editors. are people who are working for uh, liberation of the work. <laughs> from the Pacific and this Russia is what the uh, white press says about 1920.
21: Almost all strikes were on ethnic lines. They led to improvements in living conditions, but failed to gain union recognition. And most ethnic strikes were weakened by the lack of support from other groups of workers. In the 1920 strike, Japanese workers were joined by Filipinos but the alliance fell apart and the strike collapsed. Eddie Lapa and Helen Nitelon Miller, born and raised on a sugar plantation.
3: My father used to work for Kahuku Plantation and during the strike, they got kicked out of the house. And they all camped here in Honolulu, close to the harbor.
22: Inside of them, they were hurt. They didn't like it and they talked among themselves. But it was difficult for them to come out in the open, and some did, and they saw what happened. They took the consequences. They were fired, given very bad treatment, or in some ways, depending on what the problem was, they were moved to another plantation. They had no rights.
21: Filipinos struck alone in 1924, and 16 men were killed and 60 jailed. But the discontent continued. Sado Kabawachi and Abba Ramos Retired sugar worker and union organizer.
23: Nine hours a day we used to work. And that's your day. We'd have an hour lunch. We used to get together and talk about, hey, we better do something because bringing our wages up. And the one thing I came out of it was always, uh, I said, why don't these guys like this place? Then they say, well, you know, what can you do, you know? You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know, how are you going to get back? You can't swim back. The shark will eat you up. Basically, then I came to the conclusion that these guys were held hostage.
21: But word was spreading about a new kind of organizing, and in 1934, the American West Coast stock workers, the Longshoremen, went out on a coastwide strike as members of the International Longshore Association, the ILA. One of the aims was to include workers of all races and ethnicities. Edward Beechett.
1: When the uh, 1934 strike came, which was an ILA strike, there were a lot of Hawaiians working on the waterfront in Portland, in Seattle particularly, and in San Francisco. And one of them was very impressed, uh, was Harry Kamoko. And he went back to Hawaii after the thirty-four strike and began organizing again in Hilo. And uh, the Hilo Longshoremen and, and the Honolulu Longshoremen, the two principal ports in Hawaii, you know, then applied to the ILA uh, for charters. The director of the ILA in 1936 was Harry Bridges.
21: By 1937, Harry Bridges was the president of a new union, the International Longshoremen's and Warehousemen's Union, the ILWU, and the Hilo and Honolulu Longshoremen were a part of it. The mainland strike's pivotal event had been Bloody Thursday, when two strikers in San Francisco were killed by police. In Hawaii, in Hilo, it was Bloody Monday. A ship was arriving from Kauai with a scab cargo, a cargo loaded by strike breakers, Harry Kamoko had organized a protest, men and women from seven different unions.
1: He had maybe only about three or four hundred people, and we're gonna have a peaceful demonstration. What the tactic was a Gandhi-like tactic that he'd heard about. They would march down to the dock, and the police had made a police line. You couldn't go across this line. And so Harry's idea was we'd go up to the line and step across it and sit down. And the next line of people go up beyond them and sit down until we occupied the entire apron.
23: We checked everybody for weapons of any kind knives, pocket knives, and stuff like that, rocks, anything that could be injurious. In other words, we, we were policing now the group so that no one would go astray and do something and, you know, get us all mixed up with the law. They were going to have two different police lines. They had organized uh, the police force
4: that they had at that time. Uh, Into three different brigades a gun brigade, a club brigade, and a tear gas brigade.
20: We came to a place, we sat down. Everybody sat down. Some of the guys were singing songs, and some guys were cracking jokes and laughing and so forth.
21: The door of Pier 2 started rising. A policeman came out with a rifle and a fixed bayonet.
23: And he walked right up to Cairo he was the first man he approached. And he told him, come on, get out of here.
24: He whacked him right on the side of the jaw. And he came down to that and shot him right on the ankle. This is when the sheriff gave the order to fire. So that's when the bullets start flying.
21: No one died, but 50 were shot and became known as the Hilo Massacre. Jack Hall, a sailor who arrived in Honolulu in 1935 and who would become the leading figure in Hawaii's labor movement, was also organizing. But he was organizing plantation field workers on Kauai. Pineapple workers had a contract and sugar workers were in final negotiations when all organizing stopped. Obon festivals, Japanese street festivals celebrated every year in Hawaii, also stopped. Everything changed. Edward Beechert, Abba Ramos, and Warren Nishimoto, director of the Center for Oral History, University of Hawaii.
1: When the war broke out, martial law was declared they abolished all the unions. One of the first things that the military did on the advice of the planters and the political structure in Hawaii.
23: By March the 3rd, Hawaii was placed under martial law. It was the only United States possession that was placed under martial law, and why? because of a large concentration of Japanese
6: population.
23: They couldn't take them and put them in camps. because then who's going to work the sugar and pineapple field? Everybody's rights were suspended. Everyone was affected by
21: it. If the Japanese were interned, similar to the way they were interned on the mainland, it would have shut the sugar industry down. It was economic stocking.
9: That really does illustrate the weight and the influence that the sugar industry had on the federal government.
21: The war also changed the perceptions of plantation workers. Helen Nytel Miller. The war
22: definitely played a great part in them because we saw the freedom that could be had outside of the plantation. It was very, very direct for them when they went to work at Pearl Harbor. For the first time, I see Howley's cleaning the toilets and doing things like that. It was a shocker for the plantation. Filipinos and Japanese. Up to that point, we only saw whites as people well-dressed and being bosses and administrators. A lot of the women got jobs cleaning the dorms where the civilian Caucasians from the mainland stayed. And my mother told me one time, she was very surprised, she said, you know, I found that some of these howlies don't know how to write. You know, these new experiences that they're having. And they, this person asked me, could you please do me a favor? Could you please write for me while I tell you what to write? You my know? I said, sure. So he would tell her. And then later on, after she gets through cleaning, she, there's an envelope and then there's some money in there.
21: And a new generation was growing up with a different experience to their parents. Abba Ramos, and James Ho.
23: The mistake the missionaries did, they kept everybody separated, but the mistake they made is they sent the children to the same school and they all came out speaking pigeon English.
24: <laughs> My dad growing up was cosmopolitan. Naturally uh, we had Japanese, we had Filipinos, we had Hawaiians, Hawaiians, Portuguese, Spanish, Koreans. That was a makeup of our gang. <laughs> so, you know, it was very cosmopolitan.
21: The economic and political life of Hawaii was dominated by the Big Five, five companies that controlled all the shipping and distribution of goods in the islands and ran the plantations. They set the living standards for their workers. Harold He, principal negotiator for C. Brewer and Company in their sugar negotiations, Senator Inoye, and Abba Ramos.
3: Well, it was the plantations that initiated those programs. They had medical care provided the Percocet everyone in the, in the employment
23: and their families were eligible for medical care.
3: I used to call them patrons and in many ways these patrons were quite advanced in their attitude. You will find that Hawaii was the first place where workers had a health program. There were plantation hospitals, plantation clinics, plantation doctors, schools, Churches and such. The only thing is that in return for this so-called largesse, they expected loyalty and labor with no questions.
23: If you can get a trained monkey to unload that boxcar tomorrow morning, rest assured they'll have him over there and they'll have some bananas for lunch. And you'll be out on the street looking for work. Simple as that. You've got to remember, they follow only one rule of economic law and at maximum production, minimum cost, yields the greatest amount of profit for them. They don't deviate from that.
21: Martial law in Hawaii was eased in 1943, and organizing began. Eddie Lapa, Sadu Kabawachi, Abba Ramos, Akwan McElrath, Congressman Neil Abercrombie, and Senator Inouye. I
3: was coming out from the factory, and I just happened to be the first guy walking out of the factory. So here's a two big guy. you look like animals to me. He said, hey, bro, you want to join the union? I said, what is that? I didn't, know, I didn't know what is that. You know, I was like 18 or 19 years old. He said, come to the meeting tonight. I the where? On the beach?
23: OK. Yeah, I heard Kamoko you're a longshoreman. And they came out. And what I did was we used to go out during the night, dark hours, because the plantation catches you organizing you would be thrown out because we had no protection. No? Yeah, but they were good enough to sign because everybody was getting tired of the wages we were having, eh? They would have secret meetings. What they would do is they would meet on the church, and they would make like they were playing cards. They had a card game going. My job was to go down and escort men like Dave Thompson, Henry Smith, Jack Hall, and those guys would come and bring them to the back way so the camp boss wouldn't see them and snuck them in under the church.
17: I remember going to all of these meetings of Husky Longshoremen and telling them why, you know, this little Chinese woman, they should be joining a union, that kind of thing. So then one Sunday afternoon with five workers from Hawaiian Pineapple Company, Bob and I, we organized Hawaiian Pineapple Company in our living room one Sunday afternoon.
4: And in those days, grassroots politics was not just a phrase. It was real. It was visceral. It was neighborhood activity, but the union members were the shock troops, uh, particularly the ILWU. They were the lead dog on that labor sled. I mean, one of the ironies of history is is that the so-called radical ILWU organized these very conservative peasants. That's where they came from. This is peasant culture.
17: We were able to pick out the leaders in those segregated camps where there was a great feeling of solidarity and we just went through the organizing like wildfire so that it was a lark for us.
3: The ILW would pass out circulars. They can't afford newspaper ads, but so they pass out circulars. And you knew that it was this fat guy who was their employer <laughs> And the downtrodden guy was a worker. (laughs) They got the message fast.
21: Three ILWU howlies, Jack Hall, Harry Bridges, and Louis Goldblatt, were now supporting the island longshoremen who wanted to organize plantation workers. Though Bridges, president of the union, and Jack Hall, Hawaii regional director, were often at odds. Stanford Zolberg, retired city editor of the Honolulu Advertiser...
3: Hall disliked Bridges, Bridges disliked Hall, and Hall claimed Bridges would come to Hawaii like on on a white charger, and he'd knock down all the ducks that Hall had put. I am using their own words, you will understand. I am not inventing it. Bridges says he loves the bourgeois life. (laughs) About that, the insult of all insults, (laughs) he loved the bourgeois <laughs> he likes wearing a clean shirt every day. I don't know.
21: But Paul was effective. He successfully lobbied for the Little Wagner Act, which made the organizing of agricultural workers legal. Hawaii's plantation workers were ready. Part 2. Politics. The 1946 sugar strike, Eusebio Lapina Jr., President IL- ILWU Local 142, Helen Nitalon-Miller, and Terry DeVera, retired hotel worker.
23: Yes, he has some bad memories because the hardship that he went through, but they also had good memories about coming together, the coming together and the sharing of whatever they had to make, make that strike successful.
22: The big difference I saw was Japanese and Philippines were now walking together, going to these people's homes, and carrying food, and they're going to eat together. They were no longer just uh, people living in the Japanese camp, people living in the Filipino camp. We had fun doing it because the people in the camp all came together, you know, and help out. Of course, we didn't like the strike, but then that brought the people together. We used to talk stories. We used to share a lot, you know, and that's really good. In fact, that's where I learned how to weave a coconut hat <laughs> during that strike.
21: There were hunting parties, fishing parties and bombing parties who gathered donations from farmers and other groups. Plantation owners wanted strike breakers up ready. They thought they had found six thousand in the Philippines. Demacio Sanchez, hotel worker and shop steward, Eusebio Dapini Junior, Eddie Lapa and Perry De Vera. From the Philippines.
17: They recruited these people who have less education like that. Because I have uncles also who did not come because when they were interviewed, they asked them what uh, level of education they had. And when they told them that he went up to about sixth grade, then they were disqualified to come over. They told me that, so when they come to Hawaii, they be like blindfolded people. They will be bent and shaped the way, you know, employers would want them to be.
13: The union beat
23: the company to the punch. They bought it the ship in the Philippines. and Then it
3: started. They had the union guys up there signing the cards. So when they came
22: over, they
3: were already IW members.
22: I remember having a big party to welcome them, these, all these workers.
21: The strike was the union victory, despite accusations of communism. Abba Ramis and Akhwan McElrath.
23: Like, I remember FBI, you know, came to the house to talk to my father guys to discourage them from supporting bridges though how come you guys are supporting bridges you know this man is communist they're called this man's communist. my father's answer was very simple what say communist you don't understand communist now i have contract i have hospital instruments you know in this communist? give me some more
17: there was no doubt that the 1946 strike established the fact that the ilw was a major player in the political economy of hawaii
21: there was also no doubt that the union lost the next strike the 1947 pineapple strike and they learned that field workers alone without cannery workers can't win rudy ariel
24: i worked for 25 cents an hour when i first started so when they came around early part of 1947 i joined the union we strike in 1947, I think it was for two weeks, I remember, we got a 10 cents pay increase. And we actually lost lots on that day, you know, but the main thing, we got organized. And we learned a lot, almost end up in jail, because they were uh, hiring boys from uh, Wai Lai Bad Boys School to come up and work in the fields in the water water section. So the bosses were driving the trucks, and they had the boys from the school to harvest the pineapple. We had about oh, a couple hundred people there. So when the truck came by, we all lifted the truck up, you know. The wheels would spin. <laughs> they wouldn't go nowhere. You know? uh, the guy got so scared, they called the cops, and they rounded up everybody. But I got away in time. We <laughs> had a lot of guys. So <laughs> It's a two-and-a-half-ton uh, truck.
21: On the West Coast, the employers decided in 1948 to accept Harry Bridges and the ILWU and work with them rather than fight them. Not in Hawaii. The 1949 Longshore Strike. Senator Inouye and Bob McElrath, former ILWU regional director. Hawaii was faced with the first
3: big strike. This was the dark strike. And the Big Five considered this to be
23: situation. The employers had decided they would take the ILWU on in its strongest fort, the waterfront. They were determined to get rid of the union, just go for broke. They weren't worried about costs on the waterfront. The cost of shipping can always pass it on. They were worried about the costs and future costs of sugar and pineapple. And they felt if they could beat us at our strongest position, they wouldn't have to worry about
2: sugar and pineapple.
21: The strike closed down the islands. Sanford Zolberg, Bernard A. Tavitz, Longshoremen, Senator Inoy, and Malcolm McNaughton of Castle and Cook, one of the big five.
3: I arrived here in July in the middle of the nineteen forty nine longshore strike. And I was amazed when I said to a cab driver, Are there any rooms available here? And he said, You can have a whole hotel if you would like.
24: We went to a long, longshore strike six months. So we struggle, we fight with the scabs, and all the authorities, and all the lawyers, and managers' wives.
3: The broom brigade. It was quite a sight to see these ladies. They were very gracious ladies carrying these broomsticks, walking around. (laughs) And if the number one boss's wife goes out there, all the other wives go. (laughs) Every single one all the way down to the accountant.
16: Funny thing, I remember dear Louise Dillingham, she would arrive down there for, we the women stood on the ticket line, drive up in the chauffeur, live in Cadillac and get out with her parasol. She'd do her march for about an hour and she'd get back in the Cadillac and go home. It's pretty good picture, as a matter of fact.
24: Everybody loved her for it, including the ILWU. So they used to call as a subversive organization all of us are called communists. They carry their room and the ones to sweep the area of the clean. After they almost come to three months they get so tired, I think, looking at us across the street they will yelling communists. We just watch them, they will join
21: them in fact. Now the bed menace was rising. Harlaff, Sanford Zolberg, and Carol O'Connor.
17: For example, in the forty nine strike, we were called agents of Stalin. Yeah, the Dear Joe editorials occurred. I will tell you frankly, my paper was uh, owned and edited by someone
3: that we secretly called Rockhead. It was an idiot who thought that the Kremlin was running all of this. Every morning, Paul got on the telephone
20: and the Kremlin told him what to do. <laughs> Honestly, that's what the hell they thought. If we was comedies, Joe, and I'm talking about Joe Stalin here, this is what we do. If we was to work out a typically communist plan, even though we ain't communists, to hamstring Hawaii and get control of the lives of every one of its 540,000 people, we'd go about it like this. We'd get unions that work the ships to agree to follow us blindly. (laughs) Or else, we'd ask for more wages than any sensible employer could grant. And when we was refused, we'd blockade all the people, bust them, give them just enough food to keep them from starving. Come on, Joe Stalin. We've got Hawaii all set up for you. To push over. Easy. What are your next orders, Joe? We're ready. Your dope store works. From the Honolulu Advertiser,
21: May 4th, 1949. They lasted 177 days. Both sides claimed victory. Many small businesses have gone bankrupt. Unemployment had increased. But for the union, they felt they had survived an attack on their existence and won a major point, wage parity with the West Coast, Akwan McElrath. The
17: 1949 Longshore strike said that there was no way in which the labor movement could be erased from the face of the territory of Hawaii.
21: But the Red Menace was now moving out of the newspaper editorials and into courts. In 1950, the House on american Activities Committee came to town. Congressman Neil Abercrombie.
4: L.W. in the forefront on, on social issues. I mean, that's why Harry Bridges and these guys all got accused of being communists. Why he formed an opportunity for the so-called Un-American Activities Committees to be able to have these show trials, our version of the show trials.
21: Jack Hall and 38 others, the reluctant 39, refused to testify. They were cleared of contempt charges a year later. 201-day strike of pineapple workers on Lanai re-established the industry-wide bargaining and left the island with 100,000 tons of rotting pineapple smelling like a brewery with weeds in the fields waist-high and as thick as a blanket. And as the pineapple lay rotting in Lanai, the, the Smith Act arrived in Hawaii. Congressman Patsy Mink. I
25: was terrified. Absolutely terrified. I terrified the accusations that were being made and the intimidation that it created in uh, the minds of a lot of people. They didn't feel free to communicate a thought or to exercise their freedom to speak. So we just sat there in stupor. It was a very, very stumpifying, I would say, intrusion. Even after we'd gone through the war, I mean, we came back together. People would have a chance to earn a living, seize opportunities, go to college under the GI Bill. It just seemed like kind of a happy ending to a very horrible experience that we've gone through. And then this whole thing blew And The uh, hopes and aspirations of the young people for statehood, becoming fully American, all the dreams that you're left with after reading the textbooks suddenly exploded.
21: Smith Act to a direct connection between Communist Party membership and a desire to violently overthrow the American government so that any current or past member could face
13: Okay, that was part two of our feature on the unions in Hawaii covering the 19... Forty-seven and nineteen forty-nine strikes, as the uh, big five companies tried to destroy the union, uh, never happened. <laughs> right now, I want to. Um, I want to talk to our campus correspondents. Are you there? Hi. Uh, yeah. Hello. Um every week we have correspondents from UC Davis, um, Vita and Yemen who talk about issues that they're concerned with as both as students and both as citizens in a democracy, quote unquote democracy. So hello you guys, how are you doing? It's finals time?
26: Yeah, doing well. I have a few assignments due by five, but other than that I'm golden.
13: Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right, we're
26: surviving. And Yemen's done.
13: Of course you're golden. Congratulations, Yemen. Thank you. So, Vita, um, you had brought up to me an issue of, of big companies buying up real estate all over the country. Can you uh, run down some details on that? Yeah, there was a recent uh, Twitter thread by
6: a user called uh, something husbandry.
26: It's like Home Husbandry or something like that. Uh-huh. And it's about how all these homes are being bought up by BlackRock and by government-funded like institutions. And they're taking up all these trailer homes, single-family homes. They're taking up units, apartment units, buying them all over the Southwest and the middle of the country. And they're outbidding. Like, regular buyers in the market or the people who are living there already. And the rent moratorium has ended. So now people are being kicked out of their house on top of that. And they're being hit with the double whammy of now being outbid in a, like, heavily inflated, like, 20 to 50% market, like, housing market. Because these big companies are coming in and just buying everything.
13: Okay, so... <clears throat> the aim of this now is, what to move their money into into assets they think will you know grow in value. Are these um, mostly investments, or are they thinking about running them out at exorbitant rents? Uh,
27: I think um, what the plan is is to, to do the rent. Uh, rent for life strategy, where they're they're buying out neighbor, neighborhoods, like
26: right. gentrification. Almost. Yeah,
27: I see. So, so yeah, and that's you see, I mean, that's the consequence. That's the consequence of having tied up your government with, uh, uh with, uh, with, uh, private corporations, because now you have the Federal Reserve, which is not controlled per se by the politics. But is um is being sort of facilitated uh, is facilitating, you know, maybe actions like the ones we're seeing with the whole buying out
13: I see
27: of neighborhoods from private companies.
13: I see. Okay, and the name of this corporation that this is a private corporation, Black what is it? Black Rock.
27: Black yeah. Rock Blackstone or something. I it was, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Blackstone
13: yeah, don't know. Stone is something Stone. else. Blackstone is uh, yeah. Eric Prince's uh, right. mercenaries <laughs> that are <laughs> well, fighting yeah. for us in the Middle East. Yeah, all over the world. Um, the, the brother of the former uh, education secretary under Trump. Wow. Eric um, Prince. Anyway, yeah. BlackRock. Rock, okay. The, I think also
26: it's like a transfer of wealth, like... A lot of these, apparently, if you look at the the Twitter posts and the information, like Blackrock and the Federal Reserve are paying for this also with people's pension, like state pension funds, because they're being like funded by the state also or by the federal government.
13: So you're saying the pension funds are investing in these companies, huh?
26: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
27: so. Well, they're they're buying a house.
26: Yeah, and so now it's like, I think it's a mass transfer of wealth, because, I mean, you know, like, if you own a house, Mm -hmm. you have one place that you're working towards owning, but if you rent, you're someone else's slave Mm -hmm. forever, and you're just helping them
6: live their dream, as opposed to
26: you living yours. Mm -hmm. So, it is then part of the American dream, and, like, whatever, to own your own place. So, now it's going to become... Like that much more unlikely or impossible to own your own place because these big companies are just going to rent and stay there forever.
13: I see. Okay, well, uh, going to
26: change the whole. I think there will be a lot more homeless people and crime, as there already is now. Like, there's a lot more carjackings and everything because people are getting
27: desperate because the rent
26: moratorium is. I mean, yeah.
27: Who's to say the United States is safe from? event like that yeah it's not you know, what, yeah. What, are, what have we done to set ourselves the up?
26: rent moratorium's ending and people are getting very desperate and especially you know in cities so hopefully what? something happens things get better
27: or like we all revolt or something and figure this Run for out for office in your
6: local yeah
13: district. ah yeah. good idea yeah good get idea the word out. Okay, well, let's keep an eye on this. Uh, BlackRock, I'll, have to, I'll definitely look it up, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about it next week on the show. Check out Really Graceful's video about it. Really Graceful, okay. Um Great. Yeah, this is something that, of course, is affecting working people who can't afford to buy a place. Yeah, it's um, devastating. And... Um, I read somewhere that a big percentage of uh, the real estate in San Francisco, something like 40% is vacant, you know, homes and offices uh, and yeah. being oh, yeah. just held by corporations waiting for the value to go up so they can sell out. And, wow. and, and so
27: that's, that's kind of like what they're doing with Bitcoin, right? There, there's mass hysteria. There's like, A lot of fear out right now that Bitcoin is, you know, went from 60 to 35, which is not a big deal at all. It's consolidation. So uh, they're playing off people's fear. They're buying up. They're being greedy. When The the thing is, you're fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. So the people are fearful. So they're being greedy. and They're buying up everything. And they don't need people to live in there and pay rent right now because their property is about to double soon.
13: Yeah, yeah. They're buying
27: at the right time. It's called always bulletproof entry.
13: They aped into it. Always bulletproof entry. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, you guys. This is an issue that, I mean, you know, you can sort of see the results of it all around. But uh, something I didn't have a handle on. So I will definitely keep this is one of the things we talk about on this show yeah it's a recent thing that I guess everyone's
26: the collective conscious is becoming aware of and it's been on a lot of YouTube channels like Lovely T.I. really graceful like that's where I started finding out about it Um, Lovely T.I. is centered in Chicago I think or Texas and she's a black YouTuber who focuses on like black and people of color issues in like America. So she talked about it first and said that it was a huge deal. And then um, she's huge on YouTube and other people were picking up on it as it's affecting everyone.
13: Okay. All right. Thanks again for calling in. Talk to you soon. Thank you for having us on your show. Thanks for having us. Talk to you soon, but not soon enough. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, that was our, uh, campus correspondence, Vita in Yemen, and they, uh, they enlightened me, okay, they enlightened me, uh, um, about this issue of houses being bor- you know, being bought up, uh. Right now, I'm looking for, let's see, Carrie Miraji. This is The B, and it's time for us to sign off on another Saturday morning. Hope it's been a good one for you, and I hope it continues to be a good day. Remember... If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Of course, they don't want you to have a union. Your work makes them rich. We can see now how workers are treated in this time of pandemic. Get back to work is the message. 25 governors of Republican states have denied unemployment benefits that were granted by the federal government. They've denied those benefits because workers are supposed to go back to work. They're not supposed to be getting money from the government. So so maybe now you're, uh, your kid has enough food to eat. But that's bad for these Republican governors. They're saying, well, people are making more money on unemployment than they are, than they would if they went back to work. So, of course, they're not going to go back to work. Did you ever hear such nerve? Anyway, listening to The Internacional by Kaori Miraji and you're listening to Labor and Love Radio this is the B goodbye and good work
0: That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo!
11: 499. Let's watch a
8: full length
11: movie
1: on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman. I'm Michael Spiegelman.
2: And I am Carl, not Let's
22: Spiegelman. Watch.
1: We're hosts of.
2: I was well, really
3: just like leaving cool, the theater. But I a Cadillac, a ...convertible, 1969 gold Cadillac with the white and I drove it up here And I started and to do some thinking. Around
4: ...on the freeway, and I'm I a really, really good time. Flat black black and
21: big and cruising Saturday, ...on the freeway. A good
4: I, am I, a total you.
6: Can I see I am. I am. Um, voice is right. I am petty, furious, and Adam.
25: And I will cut
3: Handel Blake. Henry, yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. What's that? I have a report here, oh, uh, Henry, from your, uh, <laughs> from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some
16: accusations,
13: Henry. I, I find They'll pretty hard to believe. Really. Uh, the dude minds, man.
7: Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy. No matter what you're into, make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. I'm just going to put on one of the... Hey, everybody. Listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program.